When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth Shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make Shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. Maybe it's just that you don't know how to use social courtesy. Oh, that's old-fashioned. Watch how Lizzie Post and Dan Post act as host and hostess. They know that courtesy means showing respect, thinking of the other person, real friendliness. Hello! And welcome to Awesome Etiquette. Where we explore modern etiquette through the lens of consideration, respect, and honesty. On today's show, we take your questions on nosy receptionists, taking responsibility for your own behavior, writing thank you notes with an injured hand, and managing your social life when visiting home for the holidays. All that plus a postscript segment on New Year's traditions from around the world coming up. Awesome Etiquette comes to you from the studios of Vermont Public Radio and is proud to be part of APM Podcasts from American Public Media. I'm Lizzie Post. And I'm Dan Post-Senning, and we're from the Emily Post Institute. And we just celebrated Christmas together, because that's what our family celebrates. We did. We haven't celebrated together, because this is before, and then the show's coming after, and this will be fun to navigate. (laughs) But we've done this before. We have done this before. But we really love the, the Christmas holiday in our family, at least kind of most years for for me anyway, is like the post-family holiday, whereas I spend Thanksgiving with my mom's side. How do you guys handle You guys kind of do both, both, right? Yeah, but sort of growing up for many years, it was the post-family for Christmas. Yeah. Absolutely. And you could almost (laughs) set your watch by some of those (laughs) annual traditions, whether it was the We Three Kings Over the Mantle or the Bloody Mary Bar. Exactly. But we love it. Our families kind of do immediate family get-togethers in the morning. Morning. So I will have spent <laughs> I will have spent the morning with uh, my mom, my dad, my sister, and her husband doing stockings and a really big elaborate breakfast that I love. And then we do our presents, and then we come up, or other people come to our house. It used to be that we'd go to Mud and Poppy, as longtime listeners know. Those are our grandparents on the post side of the family, um, uh, Bill and Libby Post. But we would go up to their house in Stowe, Waterbury, and. Um, um, kind of have this magical, beautiful, very like Rockwellian Yule Christmas. Log crackling yeah, in the fireplace. I mean, snow in the mountains. Roast that's what beast, your house looks like. The uncles like arguing now. over how well the meat is done. Oh gosh, that's that always happens. And who brings the creamed onions, right? And who can uh, get Poppy the best present? Because <laughs> he's po- impossible to buy gifts exactly, for because he's got the stuff he wants. Exactly. And while some things have changed because as our grandparents have passed on and as families have moved around and things, things are a little different for the most part, that afternoon gathering of the Post family has always been a tradition that we honor, kind of no matter what form it takes or whose house it's at. That's what we do. And I guarantee that next uh, Monday when you're listening to this, Dan and I will be uh, both relaxing happily at our homes with no guests anywhere, but we will also... Oh, wait, you're going to have guests. I was going to say, you haven't seen the email yet, I'm guessing. What email? 
from Cindy Senning, my mother. No, I have not. What? Oh, goodness. What am I in for? What has Christmas become? <laughs> um, the, the tradition grows. Okay. <laughs> um, as, as Lizzie knows, and as many of you have probably gathered, I've recently moved. And the place I've moved to is very close, in fact, next door to my parents' house. So uh, this year, my mother asked if we could do Christmas at her house. It's rotated around. It wasn't her year, but the idea was with... Pooja and I so close and Pooja so pregnant that it might be easier to be right well, and also next because door. next year when she was supposed to be hosting, you guys are not going to be there. So what's the point in kind of hosting at your own house when your own kids and grandkids aren't going to be around? I mean, it would be a lovely gesture, but... Those alternate years now, Will and I are with the in-laws. Much more fun to host when you guys are all here in Vermont. So, new house. <laughs> new house. We've warmed it nicely. Nice. And most of Pooja's family is going to come join us for Christmas. So the larger the family is going to be right next door and my mother has planned uh, an afternoon of eggnog and gift exchange in the new living room so she can set a huge table that's going to occupy most of the living space at her house the red house and oh, wow. we're then going to transition down to the red house for the meal so a little bit later. So it's a dual house Christmas this year. It's a dual house Christmas but many of the <laughs> traditional decorations are now deployed and I'm, I'm, I'm They've been deployed? spilling the beans a little bit around the, the new mean? living room. So familiar We Three Kings yeah, yeah. and familiar Wait, wait, wait. Egg- Explain to them what the We Three Kings is. It's funny. We had all these kind of old school holiday decorations made of felt, right? Well, and that that our grandmother had crafted. Yeah. And th- there's a an egg choir, these little um, uh, eggs with faces on them, hollowed out <laughs> eggs that hang from a wreath. Uh, so there's some things that for me are very comforting, very, uh, they remind me of home and of childhood. And the We Three Kings is just, it's a large felt banner. It's very simple, but she had cut out kind of the three three kings and, and they're on there and they're traveling to meet the baby Jesus. <laughs> and But it's kind of this classic thing that we would always see above the fireplace, above the mantle. And it was, it was you knew it was the Christmas. Advent season exactly. when these things emerged. Yeah. Um, well, that's exciting. I need to go read the email now. But you mentioned something that I actually think has been very much so on my mind. And, well, I'm I'm just excited because if Pooja's family is going to be there, correct me if I'm wrong, but that usually means that your mother-in-law, who is a fabulous cook, now I don't want to be imposing a guest to cook, but this, I'm thinking that your father and I have a shot at having some really good vegetarian Indian cuisine at our Christmas. Oh, Am I right? Oh my goodness, you do. And Am I right? Because now I get to eat samosas and the paneer and the, all the amazing dishes that might, and I don't have to worry about the roast the night before. Okay, this is this is sounding like a good deal to me. <laughs> and, and and one of the not that I don't love the family too, but I'm just saying the food, the food. Very juicy little detail. Uh-huh. This last weekend, uh-huh. um, they were up helping us move, uh-huh. and there is now a dedicated cupboard in our kitchen that's Indian food <laughs> ingredients, and uh, it's it's really there to facilitate exactly what you are talking about. <laughs> well, I am excited, and that sounds like we are going to have a very, I would say. It's going to be a rousing holiday this year, I feel like. With the number of people... And all of the food, I feel like this is going to be very festive. Well, and it's 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 a white Christmas. There is snow on the ground and in the trees, and it's it's, uh, it's uh, looking picturesque very... and lovely and very 
of the season. <laughs> well, I think that sounds fantastic. I am very excited. Um, we're hoping that all of you have had wonderful holidays, whether you have started the Hanukkah celebrations or whether you have just completed Christmas. Um, we are excited for you and your families and your gatherings, and we hope all of the gift-giving went very well. Uh, we have one more thing to catch you up on, just in continuing our move to independence. Dan, what have we got going on? Well, an update, because we started talking about it yeah. last week, and we're going to continue to talk about it right through the transition as we take the production of this podcast that we all know and love, Awesome Etiquette, in-house at the Emily Post Institute. We want to keep you informed and up-to-date and up-to-speed with what's going on, and the, the big picture is that it's really much more work for us than <laughs> for all of you. Um, you're going to find the same show that you love on the same apps and platforms that you're used to. We're hopeful, maybe even in the same feed that you're used to, although there might be a, a transitional jump from from one source to another, but within all the same devices, platforms, locations you're used to finding us, we really appreciate all of you, and we really hope that you will join us as we make this transition. If there is a little uh, bump along the way where you have to maybe find us in a slightly new place in the iTunes store, but with the same name that you're used to, um, we would also really like your help as we continue through this process. And particularly, we want to know what you think. We want to know what's working, what you like. It's a, an opportunity. Whenever a show evolves, it's an opportunity to make it better. And we really want to do that. We want to continue to produce this show in a way that is most useful for everybody out there that listens and most enjoyable for everyone out there that listens. So definitely <laughs> let us know what you think. It's your feedback that really feeds this show. It's your questions that really drive it. And um, we count on you. We can't wait to see what's coming next. We have a long-term <laughs> vision for this show. We have long-term yes, goals. Dan and I don't ever want to stop making this show. So, <laughs> so onward right and now. upward. <laughs> exactly. And with that, let's get on to the show. We find that getting along with people is pretty important. Do you think you can do that? Oh, yes, I think I can. Awesome Etiquette gets support from StoryWorth. There are some stories about your mom's life that you truly never get tired of hearing. From hilarious to heartfelt, tear-jerking to plot-twisting, mom's retelling of the events always brings a bit of joy. Just in time for Mother's Day, we here at Awesome Etiquette found the perfect gift that can capture all of your mom's stories for your family forever. It's called StoryWorth. StoryWorth helps you preserve precious memories and stories from your mom or a mother figure in your life for years to come. Here's how it works. Each week, StoryWorth emails your loved one a thought-provoking question that you get to help pick. What was your first job? Who was your first crush? <laughs> StoryWorth makes the writing process a breeze. All your loved one needs to do is to respond to the email prompt with a story. Long or short, it doesn't matter. I did this with my mom and it was really, really rewarding. You'll be emailed a copy of your loved one's responses as they're submitted over the course of the year. 
you'll get to enjoy their retelling of the stories. Some you probably already know, or maybe the ones that you're surprised by you haven't heard before. <laughs> After that year of fun discovery and reminiscing, StoryWorth compiles your loved one's stories and photos into a beautiful keepsake hardcover book that you'll be able to share and revisit for generations to come. You can even keep a copy of the book for yourself. Give all the moms in your life a unique, heartfelt gift that you all will cherish for years. StoryWorth. Right now, save $10 on your first purchase when you go to storyworth.com manners. That's storyworth, S-T-O-R-Y-W-O-R-T-H dot com slash manners. It's manners with an S to save $10 on your first purchase. And now back to our show. On every episode of Awesome Etiquette, we take your questions on how to behave. If you have a question for us, you can email it to awesomeetiquette at emilypost.com or give us a call at 802-866-0860. Our first question today is about injured hands that make handwritten notes really hard. <laughs> Hi, Lizzie and Dan. I discovered your podcast several months ago, and I have enjoyed listening to it every week since. And it turned out to be good timing. I got engaged in November and have already been able to use some of your wedding advice. Congratulations! I am writing with a question about my own wedding. I have always truly valued handwritten thank you cards to hosts and for gifts, and always plan to do the same thing for my wedding. However, I have recently developed fairly serious repetitive strain injuries in both hands, which means that I have to avoid many tasks, including doing much writing by hand. This will almost certainly be the case at the time of the wedding and beyond. My question is, is it acceptable to send typed thank you notes that I dictate that are hand signed by my fiance and me so that I'm able to make the thank you notes? Or is handwriting so important that my fiance, who has poor handwriting, should write them? He has already offered to do so, so willingness is not a problem. Thank you for any and all help and suggestions. Avery. Wow. I, I mean... Not to be a stickler here, but my vote since since fiance is willing to write them, even though his handwriting might not be pretty, they might not be the notes you've envisioned going out from your wedding your whole life. I always am in the camp of a handwritten note shows so much personal touch. And I think your fiance is just a, a gem for, for being willing to write all of them. Yes, uh, agreed. Dan, Dan is like, yeah, we've been through that. Um, and so I think that I think I would go for that as much as possible that I'm in that camp. What do you think? I like it. And I also like the idea that you're talking about maybe dictating some of them because you clearly are invested in this and care about it and want to participate. It's both helpful and it lends it gives you the opportunity to, to put your stamp on there to add your personal touch as well. I think that you've got a pretty good solution in front of you. I want to also just mention, because we like to talk about the broader etiquette issue here, that if there is something that prevents you from handwriting a note, like the repetitive use injury that you're talking about, the real goal with the thank you note is to personalize it as much as possible to show people that you invested the time. It's not to put yourself through pain or to hurt yourself. (laughs) So if if you are in a situation where there isn't a fiancé who's willing to, to bear down and make his writing or her writing legible for that moment in time when it matters, you can personalize with content. And you're mentioning that by wanting to dictate, by wanting to participate in the content creation, mention something personal, make an effort to make it personal. So you're not just printing out the same note repeatedly. People will notice that if you make those personal touches and add them in. And then as you also mentioned in your question, I can see you thinking about this already, you sign them. 
so that you add that personal touch as well. As long as you sign each note, you've made that that personal mention, you should be in great shape. What I love is that our, our listener, Avery, is not trying to sacrifice the important parts for making something easier. And I think that it so shows that she is so tuned into the etiquette portion of this mm-hmm. as opposed to the actual functioning portion of it. And it's like, you know, it's okay that that's, that's the route to take. Um, I think you'll be in good stead either way, Avery. It sounds like even if you go the typed route that they will be very personalized and you'll have your signatures on both of them. And you might choose grandma or some guests who, you know, you really want to make sure receive that very personal or who might maybe be, you know, apply that platinum rule. Maybe if grandma would be offended by a type note, you would take the time to handwrite that one for her. You have options. But I like the fact that your fiance understands the importance of this and has already stepped up and offered. And I just think that's the great route to take. Something that you yeah, just said, Lizzie it. Post, made me think of something that I go wanted to show it. everyone. It's the relationships, not the rules. And that you're really thinking about the relationships and, and you're, you're sticking to that heart of good etiquette, the consideration, respect and honesty, not necessarily just the particular rule that applies. And can't you just hear someone in the audience saying, but what happens if grandma shows her handwritten note to like the aunt who got the type note? And then you've got and that's why you you think about it first as to whether that would really be a good idea for you. But I do think it's a potential option. And I love Dan's idea of think of the relationship first. Congratulations. It is such an exciting time. It is such an exciting thing to get married. We wish you all the best. Our next question is about self-reflection. Hi, Lizzie and Dan. Thanks so much for all of your thoughtful advice. I recently spent a weekend visiting some friends from college to celebrate the holidays early. We are all scattered around the country and don't get to see each other often. So when a friend invited us all to her parents' vacation home for a weekend, we leapt at the chance. Um, To be clear, her parents weren't there. It was a group of about 10 friends. We had such a great time, but let's just say that I over-imbibed. We spent the day eating and drinking, and by the end of the night, it was clear that I had been overserved. I was definitely too loud, said some things I regret, and am overall not proud of my behavior. This is certainly not the first time one of us has been in this situation, but we've been out of college for a few years now and generally are out of that partying time in our lives. It's definitely not a judgmental group, but I am feeling guilty and embarrassed about my behavior. We won't see each other again anytime soon, so how do I handle the situation going forward? Do I apologize to everyone, just to our hosts? Let it go and try to forget. Oh, your help would be sincerely appreciated. Sincerely, too much holiday cheer. Oh, that is awkward, potentially embarrassing. We, we really sympathize. But also, like, way to go, you, for looking at yourself and your actions. I actually remember a while ago, we received feedback, I don't think it aired, from a woman who said, boy, everybody's complaining about other people's etiquette, and they're not talking about how to fix their own. And I loved... The idea that here this is, I think I did something wrong. And that's just a good, you know, every now and again, it's good to hold yourself accountable. We start just about every etiquette (laughs) seminar that we do with uh, some survey results from AP Ipsos where they ask people if they've watched people using their cell phones rudely. And everyone (laughs) says they've seen people using their cell phones rudely. And when they ask the the next question, which is, have you used your cell phone rudely? A much smaller percentage of people are willing to cop to that kind of bad behavior. It is so easy to see other people's bad behavior. It is not as easy to acknowledge your own. And 
I think that how you handle these situations is really a fundamental part of having good etiquette. It's not just your poise and how you navigate life with grace and ease, but how you handle those awkward situations, those accidents and those mistakes that that really lets you rise in many ways. I think that what I love about this question, too, is that this isn't I've done something bad and someone's mad at me. Therefore, I know I need to apologize. It's this group is I mean, we're hearing other members have done this kind of thing. This is, you know, a forgivable thing. Clearly, she's I feel like our our listener isn't as she's worried about the group. She is. But I think she's also really taking it from a, a personal place of I don't feel comfortable with my behavior. Therefore, I need to ex- or I would like to find the right way to extend this apology or rectify the situation. And that's such ownership that it's not just, oh, I'm doing this because obviously I ticked this other person off. It's no, I'm not comfortable. And I think that's something we have to recognize is that it's OK to remember that part of forgiveness is also on the part of the person who might have have done the inconsiderate thing. And it's about them being able to extend that, even if the other people are like, oh, that was no big deal. We often talk about the importance of thanks and gratitude, how how those are fundamental emotions and psychological states or conditions. It's also true of an apology or of of receiving forgiveness, that that these are also fundamentally important parts of, of relationships and whether it's getting forgiveness from someone else or even from yourself. And an apology can be a big part of that. A particular mistake. And let's talk some about what good apologies look like, sound like, feel like. Yeah. The first one that just jumps to my mind, and it's sort of a tangential issue, we'll get into some more serious stuff, is I just want to remind people not to text apologies. Something we hear about at the Institute on a pretty regular basis is that um, someone someone texted me an apology and it just it didn't cut it. There mm-hmm. wasn't enough weight to that apology. It's like the the not handwritten thank you note for the thing you want the handwritten thank you note for. <laughs> yeah. A texted apology doesn't bring the gravitas or the weight. Sincerity really is key with an apology. And there are going to be lots of different ways to communicate that sincerity. But you don't want to strip that sincerity away right at the start by choosing the wrong medium to begin with. So give yourself a chance. Give them a call. See them in person. But, but let them hear the tone of your voice. See the expression on your face and you're going to be in better shape. I was going to say, think about how much work you ask someone else to do and how much you leave up to chance when you choose to write an apology rather than verbalize it. You're automatically allowing for a lot of your your sincerity and your your genuine, you know, um, contrition. Thank you. I was looking for the right words. Remorse. To be at the hands of the other person interpreting it rather than of you actually being able to communicate it through your voice and through your tone, like Dan just said. And I think that when when you're really feeling badly about something, don't leave that up to chance. Don't leave that up to the other person, hopefully getting how much you mean it. Instead, use a method that allows you to communicate it clearly. So. Sample script master. <laughs> what would you do in this particular situation? Because yeah. there is the question of not wanting to overdo it, yes. not wanting oh my to, gosh. So to glad point you said out that. the mistake in a way that becomes self-serving or even really starts to overinflate yeah. the, the mistake if, if that's the case. Well, and even to overburden the person who's trying to receive the apology, it's like, OK, stop apologizing so I can actually say, don't worry about it. You know what I mean? I think that there are two things I would do to make this situation right. First of all, I think you're in good stead to actually reach out to 
your girlfriends. I think you feel badly enough about this that it's important to make these apologies. This isn't just to brush it off and don't let it happen. You would say the whole group, not just the host. I would say the whole group because I don't know who the people who who she potentially offended the most were. Mm -hmm. I think it's important to recognize that maybe a whole group. Also, because it sounds like this all happened within the whole group. It wasn't like these were private conversations. It's a pretty close knit group of friends, it seems. Yeah. I would I would call each of my friends and I would say either leave a voice message, which I think is fine, or I would say, um, you know, get them on the phone, maybe do a pretext asking, do you have a minute? I was hoping to catch you on the phone if you wanted to try and find that time and ask that permission the way Dan often suggests. But once you do that, I would call each person individually and I would just say, um, I just wanted to call and apologize. I was thinking about our weekend together. And while I had a great time, I also feel like when... I had over imbibed a bit that I took it a bit too far. And I really regret some of the things I say. And I want you to know that if they hurt you in any way, I felt badly about them. And I wanted to communicate that to you and let you know that I'm really sorry, especially if they hurt your feelings in any way. Um, or especially if they hurt their feelings. Don't even do that in any way because that t- diminishes the fact that it happened. The thing that I want you to be aware of is the responses that you might get. This is a really interesting thing is that a lot of people just say, oh, no big deal. It happens to everybody. Remember last year when it was me, like, you know, and you get that forgiveness that's easy that you're looking for. On occasion, though, you might get someone who says, you know, I really appreciate that because some of the things you said did hurt my feelings. And it's really nice to know that you don't mean them wholeheartedly or that this was just kind of you in an exaggerated moment, not you truly at your heart of hearts. And it's important to let your friends say that and then not jump to being defensive about it because she's communicating her half of it. And you want to be able to respect and listen to her half without trying to jump immediately to the, but I'm forgiven, right? I'm forgiven, right? I'm forgiven, right? Part of it. Because part of it is hearing that you, there was maybe one person there that you did really hurt. And that per, the, this exchange between the person who needs forgiveness and the person who is giving the forgiveness, allow it to happen. Don't don't just try to brush over it. I think I'm trying to get at what I want to say. Dan, am I being clear? Do you think our audience? No, no, I I, I like it. It's a reminder that the apology isn't just about you. Yeah, that it really that 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 if that other person would like some space in that apology, that that you're prepared to give it to them and you're prepared to honor that. And it, it might feel a little awkward. It might feel a little uncomfortable, but that's that's a little bit what you invite, what you open up. And it's why the the personal nature of the message that over the phone or face to face if possible nature of the exchange is nice because it facilitates the ability to to navigate that that subtle emotional space where there is a real interaction that happens again it's the relationship that we're really trying to to maintain sustain maybe even improve here and remember that the other person by saying you know hey that really did hurt me they're not trying to rub your nose in it I think more so that when that happens, you want to focus back on your own awareness of your behavior and and your worry that your behavior had caused someone discomfort. And rather than getting defensive, you might say something like, you know, they say, thanks for saying this, because I'll admit I was really uncomfortable. And you can say back, that was my fear. You know, validate what they're saying. Don't say, I know, and I didn't mean it. I didn't mean it. Instead, say, that was my fear. I'm so sorry that I put you in that situation. I'm really going to watch my intake more closely next time. 
I also like the way you then go to a place of I, 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 I'm going to take corrective action. Yeah. I'm going to try to make it better. This is the way I would handle it differently in the future. And you don't necessarily have to say those things. If someone says, really, it's no problem, you can you can internalize that concept and, yeah. and still, yeah, okay. still do those things, <laughs> make those corrections, don't do it again. But it might not necessarily need to be a part of it. And I, I, I also find myself wanting to give some advice on the other side of the equation, as is yes. often the case, because there is a relationship. It takes two people to do this dance. And if you're the person who's being apologized to, it is okay to acknowledge, yes, I was hurt by that. Yes, that I did find that uncomfortable or awkward. You also don't want to continue to drive on that point. Yes. At some point, you, w- <laughs> when the other person has had a chance to say, you know, I, I, I was concerned about that. It's why I really wanted to see you. There, there is a place where it is also important to accept that apology yeah. and to let someone know that it's been heard. And it, it doesn't have to be the first <laughs> words out of your mouth, but it's nice to, to leave the interaction or the exchange, um, particularly if the apology is genuine and sincere and yeah. the work has been done yeah. in that place. It's not about shame. It's not about now then rubbing that. That nose in, in the mistake. And I think that's such a great thing to focus on. So too much holiday cheer. We hope that this this helps. Um, and we think that by the sounds of it, you're a great friend. And every great friend makes a mistake every now and again, but it's how you communicate it and move forward that's really going to keep those friendships intact over time. But there's more. What's that? More questions coming up. But first, a word from our sponsor. Our next question is about popularity problems. These would be good problems to have. I didn't want this to sound snarky because I actually think it's pretty genuinely like a thing people deal with. (laughs) Season's greetings, Lizzie and Dan. I have a question regarding the etiquette of exclusivity among friends. My wife and I live in a different city, Boston, from the one in which we grew up and went to school, Chicago. And we share several friends from college whom we like to make sure we see when we are back home each year around the holidays. In fact, because we are not often in the same town as our family and friends, we prefer to reserve this holiday time for only family and friends. However, as is certainly also the case with many of your listeners, Chicago is also a central holiday hub for many of our, how do I put this, second-tier friends? These are people we love and certainly have a great time seeing when we do, but who are not part of the inner circle we really want to focus on catching up with. What's more, these friends are also friends of the close friends, and thus problems arise when my wife and I try planning a get-together that is initially limited to our close friends, and then we get text messages or phone calls from others on the fringe of that network asking if we are free at all while we are in town. What is the best way to handle this? In the past, out of fear of hurting these secondary friends' feelings when they inevitably discover, via social media or simple word of mouth, who we did make time to see, I have just invited them along to the plans we've made with our better mutual friends. It has never not been a fun time, but I can't help worrying that it is somewhat unappreciated by our good friends to have our initial plans broadened to include others, despite how easygoing they are about it. And I also can't help feeling vexed that time and again, a gathering that I'd hoped would be deeper and richer among a select few is turned into a sort of mini college reunion. Thank you for any advice you have to offer on how to navigate this. I so enjoy listening to your podcast and appreciate the energy and enthusiasm with which you approach even the most idiosyncratic of etiquette queries. Happy holidays and all the best. 
one neurotic friend. Oh, one neurotic friend. This plagues everybody. This is a problem all of us, I feel like, have. And it's a good problem to have because it means that we've got good friends. We've got social circles where people really enjoy each other. And it's kind of a the more the merrier. You absolutely can go the route of saying the more the merrier. You never know whose holiday is a little lonely and you wind up perking them up because they get to see or who's kind of living for those old college heydays. And that's just one look at it. I, however, am someone who really appreciates the more intimate get togethers, the times where I don't just get 10 minutes of benign chit chat and instead kind of get some real deep level of how are you really? Because we're actually in the same state for two days. Like, I want to catch up with you kind of connection. We can have a conversation where I can ask serious questions. Right. (laughs) How is your wife? What's going on with your job, your family? Get get a level deeper than you're going to get when you're skimming that social surface. Exactly. And so I totally understand wanting to find a way to navigate this so that you can make a choice between, hey, tonight's a great night for us, honey, to to be welcoming and invite everybody in. Or you know what? Tonight's a better night to focus on those close relationships. And you have options and you get to choose that as a, as a couple for whom you're going to entertain more gatherings with and, and whom you're not. I like the way you're talking about making a choice there, that the awkwardness comes from feeling conflicted right. about it, that, right. that really either choice is, is going to work out as long as you handle the choice that you make in a way that shows respect to everybody involved. And that's that's definitely doable. As Lizzie pointed out, this is not an uncommon situation. Social circles do shift over time. There's a, a concept in social theory that each of us maintain sort of deep emotional connection to somewhere around 100 to 150 people. Really? That, that's almost like a carrying capacity for human wait, wait, wait. emotional connection. I have to totally interrupt you here. So that could be why most weddings wind up being about 100 to 150 people. Hadn't occurred to me, I, but it very well might I be. I just wonder. Now, then again, you're one person and you're splitting between two. So maybe 75 people. But that could that makes sense to me all of a sudden. OK, sorry. That, it, it's an idea little, that's been around for a long, long time. Some people think it's the reason that the Roman army was organized into these 100 person units. A lot of corporations know to organize divisions with around 100 to 150 people that it's. Wow. And it's true of animals. Animals have carrying capacity for social relationships. If you put a certain number of, and pardon the analogy, pigs in a pen, (laughs) they can remember each other's names and identities or identities up to a certain number. And then if you get one pig over that, that. the social structure breaks down. Wow. So anyway, uh, I I digress. (laughs) A a social carrying capacity is a real thing. And as as time goes on, different people will drift in and out of that 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 hundred to hundred and fifty that you're able to maintain that close bond with. So I do think that you're in territory that people sort of in two is a real thing, whether or not it's acknowledged explicitly. People have some idea that this is going on all the time. That relationships ebb and flow in those ways, that some years you get to see the person, some years you don't. And today's high technology environment, people have been thinking about the way the number of social contacts that we maintain is growing and growing and growing, but that the number of people that we feel fundamentally connected to has stayed about the same. Fascinating. So, wow, we're actually poising ourselves to have more disappointment in this territory because our social networks are bigger, but our fundamental numbers haven't changed. (gasps) Interesting. Okay. well, getting back to one neurotic friend and the task at hand, my advice would be to plan your 
parties and your get-togethers as you see fit. This is your vacation. This is your holiday. I really do think that giving people the confidence and the ownership over their time and their vacation is important. So I say plan it as you see fit. I see lots of friends who, when they come home, they plan one big gathering night where they say, we're going to go down to Mick Taverns and we're going to be there from, you know, 8 p.m. until midnight. Come one, come all. I like that. And I think that planning one night like that is always a good thing because it's kind of your catch all night. And it does in some ways put the onus of engaging in the invitation on the other person. They can't get mad at you if you've created a place and a time to go see them. Brilliant. Yeah. So following that, when you've got your closer family and friends events and someone calls or texts, first of all, Oh, gosh, is this bad etiquette, what I'm about to suggest? You don't always have to respond to your phone during the holidays. (laughs) Like, come on. I'm sorry, but my phone was off or I was at a dinner or gathering, so I didn't have it with me. In some ways, you're using a point of etiquette as a kind of like a standoffish point of etiquette. But it's a reality. You know, like I, I did a Christmas cookie party and dinner and tree decorating with my family last night. I left my phone out of it. I just wasn't there. I was present. And that meant I missed a lot of things, but then I could get back to them later and said, I'm sorry, I was busy with family. Like, I want to acknowledge the fear that that's bad (laughs) etiquette, but also say bravo. Bravo for turning off your phone and keeping your attention on the people that you're with. And this is exactly what we're talking about, where the the, we have to manage the the way that these technologies connect us with so many people all the time and really maintain the strength and quality of the relationships that we have and love. So if you do happen to check that phone or you happen to pick up, you know, pick up that phone and the person says, you know, hey, what are your plans tonight? You can respond with, we've got plans tonight, but we've been setting up a come one, come all night at, again, McTavern's bad, bad naming, (laughs) Lizzie, Um, McTavern's Friday night. Can you make it? Or we'd love to see you. This is when we'll be there. Um, I think that that's the best way to handle it. It's okay for you to say, we've got plans tonight, and that's it. Again, not everybody gets invited to every party, and that's okay, even when those parties wind up on social media. Three very clear points of etiquette that are going to help clean up the whole situation. One, saying no is not bad etiquette. You can decline an invitation or you can decline to invite someone. You get to be in charge as a host as of your guest list. If you are doing the version of this where you're not necessarily responding to the message in the moment, that you get back to people later, that if someone's left you a message, that you do respond in a time-appropriate manner at some point later on, and that you get that initial invite to the group gathering out early enough that people have a chance to say yes if they want to go. If you've hit those major points, you're going to be in really sound etiquette territory to say yes and no as you like along the way. One neurotic friend, we hope you have a fantastic holiday and that you are able to visit and be merry and bright with everybody in your life in exactly the way that you would prefer that to be happening. Our next question is called Troubled by Nosiness. Hi, Lizzie and Dan. I have a question regarding how to deal with nosy people. Here's the scenario. I use a motorized wheelchair due to being born with cerebral palsy. And I depend on others for many things. In this case, I had to cancel a mental health appointment due to my driver taking some vacation time on the day the appointment was scheduled to take place. When I called to do this, the receptionist asked me the reason for the cancellation. Now, I had no problem with that. But she then asked where my driver was going and if she was taking me with her. 
I answered both questions, but I was troubled by them because they seemed very nosy to me. Am I correct in thinking this? And if so, what is some sample language I could use should I encounter this situation again? I've been a regular listener to the podcast for almost a year now, and I really enjoy it. I wish you both a blessed and happy holiday season. And I also wish Dan and Pooja the best as they prepare for the arrival of their new little one. Much love, Troubled by Nosiness. Oh, thank you, Troubled, for the the little call out. And I'll just take a half a second to say that um, Pooja's doing so well. I know we said we would get her on the show, and it just was not possible. The days that we record, she was seeing clients, and she was working all fall, getting ready for a, a pretty extended maternity leave, which she just now started. We're definitely in that window. Could happen any day now. We're so excited, um, and we'll definitely keep you posted. Now, back um, to wait. your question. Oh, Pun intended? <laughs> Sorry. I have to. All our friends love that joke. Bad pun intended. <laughs> now, truly, back to your question. Um, I do think there's something a little nosy about this question. And it, it's definitely one where where someone is maybe uh, in, in the best of spirits or intentions, just wanting a little chit-chat, wanting to, to be friendly and familiar, is maybe stepping across a line that's that's not comfortable. And I think that it's admirable that you answered the questions <laughs> that it sounds like you you didn't necessarily point out her bad manners or, or etiquette and that's good etiquette but also as you're reflecting on this I do want to affirm for you that this is definitely that territory where I think someone started off maybe with a reasonable question just wanting to be sure that it was and again even this is tricky territory wanting to be sure it was a legitimate reason for a cancellation but having just mentioned Pooja who deals with people canceling appointments, it's nice to know why people are canceling so you have some idea about how that relationship's going. Well, and sometimes it changes. And it's it's one of those things where, especially, I feel like mental health care providers, they have some scenarios where it might really charge you for your missed appointment, depending on the cancellation policy of the company. And other times when it's due to a family emergency or something, they're not looking to then add more financial stress to you after a difficult situation. So sometimes there's a reason for asking about why the cancellation happened, because it then allows for either some forgiveness in a penalty fee type territory mm-hmm. or it's it's oh, no, this is legit. Like I've, I've occasionally canceled one of those appointments last minute and said, I know that I'm going to incur the fee. Other times, um, my mental health care professional has said, no, 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 I don't want to add more stress to you on top of what you just dealt with. Don't worry about it. We can take care of it. So just there's a reason for that question sometimes. So there is some gray area territory here. And and again, I think that you're in pretty good etiquette territory. Now, I'm going to leave the the sample script to the master (laughs) on the other side of the mic. But before I do that, there is another point that I want to make, because we often like to think about both sides of the equation, and I I would love to know that the receptionist who asked the question is sitting out there listening to the show somewhere and is thinking to to him or herself, what could I have done a little differently in this situation? And when someone uses a wheelchair, it's a very personal thing. It's pretty much like it's part of their body. And when you're asking questions about that, you're asking about something that's very personal. And you start to get into that territory of a conversation where you want to be sure that someone is open and welcoming those questions before you continue with one after another after another. So maybe the first question is an appropriate question, but then the follow-up and the follow-up on the follow-up start to get into that territory where I do think that you're into nosy territory. And other places where you might enter that nosy territory 
category would be in that tier three of a conversation that we've discussed sometimes on this show when you're asking about someone's financial situation or their family situation, FF, family and finance, the most personal areas of our lives in many instances. I could see this situation being a receptionist who's just jolly and bright. And, you know, I could see her doing the thing where she says, like, oh, where's she going? Is she taking you with her? Ha ha. You know, and it's very light. But it sounds to me like that actually isn't how this this situation happened. And I think sometimes when you have that, like, you know, someone asks that further question that actually isn't that appropriate, but they're asking in such a light way, you can tell they just aren't considering this. And that's just let it go. They're being kind of that happy person who's not thinking all the way through, but they're in a good mood. Clearly, they mean no malintent. Like, they're not trying to be nosy. I think there's room for that. And and Dan had mentioned that. But there are two things I want to give our listener. And one is that you could just simply answer the questions that that when those nosy questions come up, I mean, really ask yourself, how much is this bothering me and how much is it just? No, it's fine if I tell this person, no, she's not taking me on vacation with her. You can just answer the question. And that's where we just say, you know, you're going to ignore the rudeness that's been done to you and just simply move forward. It's not a high stakes question to answer. It wasn't, you know, how much is your income or something like that. But I also want to say that it's also okay to question the question. And Dan is actually very good at this. Um, And every now and again, it comes up. And I'm always kind of impressed that what you do is you go to a place of curiosity. And I think it works because it comes across as innocent as long as you can play it as innocent. As long as you're not attacking. Exactly. (laughs) So first question is, oh, and what's the reason for the cancellation? Oh, my driver's not here. Oh, why is she going on vacation? Is she taking you with you? I'm, I'm just curious, why would that be relevant to the nature of this call? And even I, you can even hear, that wasn't delivered as best as I would like it to be. You know, Dan's giving me the, ooh, that didn't quite sound right. And I'm feeling it as I deliver it. So it might be something you have to practice a little bit. But saying, you know, oh, I'm, I'm sorry, is that a needed explanation or something that gets to the idea of why are you asking me this? Um, you know, oh, do they record that down for the reason why I couldn't come? And it's gentle, but it's also still present, a way of saying, why are you asking me that question? Um, you can also do the very honest thing of simply saying, I'm sorry, I don't, I don't think I need to answer that for this call, but I just wanted to reschedule the appointment. And that kind of reminds them that, hey, that's I'm getting the OK from Dan on the other side of the mic <laughs> no, on that the, one. The tone started to really feel right to me. There. OK, yeah. good. So we're finding the good spot. <laughs> Welcome to our lunchroom table. Um, but I think that that's the you want to just try to say, you know, hey, the nature of this call is to reschedule. Let's get back to that. And you don't say it that bluntly. But simply the point is, you know, well, I'm not sure if I need to talk about that to reschedule, but I'd be I'd love to reschedule. No, I like that because you're 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 taking the focus back to the place that you want it. You called to cancel an appointment and it started this conversation has started to stray (laughs) into territory that wasn't where it was meant to be initially. And you've given that redirection. You've done it in a gentle way. Hopefully you've done it in a way without causing too much offense (laughs) to the person who was frankly being a little bit nosy to begin with. Troubled by nosiness, we hope that this answer helps and that you are a little less troubled by nosiness in the future. 
Thank you for your questions, and please send us updates and comments and your salutes to awesomeetiquette at emilypost.com or leave us a voicemail at 802-866-0860. You can also hit us up on Twitter and Facebook. Just remember to use the hashtag awesomeetiquette so that we know you want your question or comment or salute on the show. Your manners are showing, and it's good manners that make a good impression. All right, let's get to some feedback. (laughs) Our producer, Chris Roberts, is here to tell us how our etiquette advice is being received. So, Chris, what's the latest? I do have the latest. Hi, Dan and Lizzie. Let's start out with a listener named Lauren, who has this wonderful tip for the listener who asked the question about meeting the boyfriend's family for the first time over the holidays and wanting to make a good first impression. And I know Christmas is over, folks, and you may have a holiday hangover, but this situation will arise again, and listeners can keep Lauren's advice in their back pocket. Lauren writes, I wanted to share an additional option for the listener who was unsure about Christmas gifts for the boyfriend's family when flying halfway across the country to meet them for the first time. I had met my now sister-in-law several times before she spent her first Christmas with our family, But I think the approach she and my brother took could also work for this listener. Rather than getting individual gifts, they shopped together for each family member and gave a joint gift. This worked out well for our family and relieved the stress for her of giving an impersonal gift or guessing at our tastes. Best, Lauren in Ohio. I thought this was a really good idea. Very creative solution, joint gift giving. I thought so, too. Joint joint gifts, it, it works. It kind of invites someone in but doesn't make them totally responsible for the tastes and needs of these other people that they're only just meeting for the first time. Great idea. I also like that time spent together. Yes. <laughs> Absolutely. And in episode 117, the issue of gift wish lists came up, and Sarah had this helpful hint on Awesome Etiquette Facebook about gift wish lists. Sarah happens to use online wish list services, I think... The one she uses is called wishbin.com. And these kinds of tools allow her to include everything she might like on an online list. And Sarah writes, The items range from cute little desk supplies from Etsy to a Range Rover. Wishful thinking. That way, when anyone asks for my wish list, I tell them this is my running wants list. And they know exactly what I want, but there's something for every budget. It comes in handy in many situations lately. Hope this helps some listeners who are perplexed about wish lists. Yeah, that's a really good idea. Thank you very much, Sarah. Good advice. And we will keep our fingers crossed on your Range Rover, your future Range Rover. Okay, let's take a walk down memory lane back to episode 93, in which Dan and Lizzie had a really good discussion of proper etiquette when people have dietary restrictions. Levi wrote in on Awesome Etiquette Facebook about his young daughter, whose dietary restrictions are that she happens to be an extremely picky eater. And it becomes very difficult when they're invited to a friend's house for dinner, and Levi has to inquire about whether the host can prepare some food for his daughter. And Levi says, we often need to make sure she will have choices at our host's house or she will be miserable. 
asking on her behalf. I sometimes feel like I am being judged for her pickiness, and so being judged for her diet and my parenting is a bit of a double whammy. It's nothing blatant and maybe mostly imagined. I do think it's important for us as parents, but also as friends, to advocate for those we know have dietary restrictions, for whatever reason, because if it's hard for us to do it, imagine how hard it must be for the person to advocate for themselves. And I think this is really good advice, something to think about, and it made me think of a question, Dan and Lizzie. If you have a son or daughter who's a picky eater, is it better etiquette to ask the host to make something special or to bring it yourself? I think it's better to bring it, offer to bring it yourself, give them, this is a host guest dance, offer to bring it yourself because then your needs are covered. Like, take care of yourself in that way and your daughter in that way. But then... Uh, you know, you can always the offer allows the other person to say, oh, no, 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 I'd love to make sure there's something on the table that she'd like. What does she love to eat? What are the things on her yes list? Um, and that's that's a great and wonderful way for the host to then feel great about accommodating her, her guests needs. If instead it's the other way around and the accommodations would make the host uncomfortable. Now the host feels really comfortable being able to say, oh, that would be wonderful. Thank you so much for offering to bring a dish. That's great. I couldn't agree more. I also really like the the thought behind this question because yeah. it really is putting yourself in someone else's shoes saying, you know, if it's this hard for me to do it, I can't imagine what it must be like to be doing this for yourself all the time. And I, I appreciate that willingness to see things through someone else's eyes. Well, I'm dealing with this this year as my eating habits are not quite clear. They don't have clear cut lines to them. And so my family's trying to navigate where am I willing to give and where am I not? And then and I'm trying to navigate what's easiest for them versus getting what I'd really like. And it's been an interesting dance that, that we haven't quite gotten perfect yet. And so my mom and I even just last night were talking about, you know, she she's trying to remember, oh, that's right. I, I don't want to use chicken broth in this or, oh, but over here, Lizzie's going to be OK with it. And it's we're trying to dance around each other and figure out what's going to be easy and accommodating for both of us. It's been interesting, but we're getting through it. You know, we're coming at it from this angle of, I don't want to be a burden. I still want to accommodate you. That's the two of us saying it back and forth to each other. And I think eventually we'll get to a great place. We want everybody here having a great time when the day arrives. Exactly, exactly. But I think it's great that you are advocating for your daughter. And, you know, kids go through phases, too. I remember uh, babysitting a kid who his parents literally said anything you can get him to eat. It doesn't matter what it even if it's candy. We don't care as long as calories will get into him something. Um, it was there are just times as kids are growing up and they go through phases of what works for them and what doesn't. And you as the parent are the advocate for them. You are the one helping to smooth the way and make this better and also meet their needs, their actual needs. So good for you. You're being a great dad. <laughs> You mean that's all there is, just what we've talked about? Oh, no. You can learn still more by watching Mother, Dad, and other people who have good manners. As 
we close a season of tradition, we thought it would be fun to look at what other countries and regions throughout the world do to celebrate the end of one year and the beginning of the next. And MentalFloss.com was kind enough to post 15 New Year's traditions and superstitions from around the world. And we thought we'd share a few of them with you now. For the full list, please go to MentalFloss.com. We will uh, post a link to it from our social media. But we thought this was fun. And, it might, you know, you might be inspired to cross some cultures and embrace one of these celebratory acts. One of my favorites yes. is the first one on the list. <laughs> and apparently it's a Latin American tradition for those with wanderlust to carry around an empty suitcase. And it's designed to in- inspire the next year to be full of travel and adventure. I thought that was a, a great place to start. And I found it, uh, the, the whole metaphor, very evocative. I love it. The second one on the list was one of mine. And I don't. I think I just like the numbers association on this. But you're from this one comes from Spain. And it's to eat 12 grapes at midnight. Um, some people guzzle sparkling wine at midnight on New Year's Eve, but in Spain, they stick with grapes. Um, and until the clock is done striking the hour, they gobble 12, the 12 bits of the fruit, 12 bits of grapes, one grape for each stroke of midnight to ensure the next 12 months will be filled with good luck. Makes a lot cool. of sense, yes. <laughs> I like grapes. <laughs> Speaking of making sense, the tradition from China that Love is listed this. here made a lot of sense to me. You clean the house, and you do it in a particular way. There's a particular symbolism to how you clean the house, but I love this idea of doing a house cleaning, attending to one's life as part of a, a turning over of the year. This one goes a little bit more intricate, too. It's not just clean the house. It's actually, like, how you clean the house. So to ensure the good luck doesn't accidentally get pushed out with the bad, you sweep the home inward, collecting the dirt, and then dispose of the dirt outside the back door instead of the front one. So you don't want to sweep everything out the front door. That was considered getting rid of the good luck, too. But if you sweep it out the back door, the bad luck goes out the back door and you're still welcoming good luck in through the front door. I thought that was so cool. Um, What made less sense to me, and I still want to find, I'm like, I'm going to be the one doing the deeper dive into this. Smashing plates is, is certainly a celebratory thing we've seen before. Greek weddings, sometimes this is something that gets celebrated. Um, at a Jewish wedding, you wind up with breaking of, of the glass. And this one comes from Denmark, and you throw broken dishes at your neighbor's house. Most people toss broken dishes into the trash, but in Denmark, they dispose of them in a much more creative fashion. They save them. And on New Year's Eve, they toss the shards at their friends and family's homes as a gesture of good luck. No word on whether they volunteer to clean it up afterwards, but Danes and Germans with less pugnacious personalities or maybe weaker throwing arms can also opt to just leave a heap of broken china on the doorstep instead. Excuse me. If anybody knows more about this tradition, I would love to know more. I know we have some listeners in Denmark, so please share with us a deeper dive into whether people really do this or is this something of old? I'm curious. According to this article, thank you, Mental Floss, in Romania, a ceremonial bear dance is often part of the new year. And this was the the one other one that I'm going to choose to point out today because it <laughs> jumped off the list at me. I saw my first live bear in Vermont in the woods <laughs> this year. So I've been working with a bear theme, a bear spirit animal uh, association is very strong in my mind right now. So uh, maybe I'll do my own version of the ceremonial bear dance I want to know year. what the bear dance looks like. We might have to YouTube that one. Fine. Finally, the one that I was really excited about, and one I think I might even try this year, is that in Finland and Scandinavia, you pour melted tin into water. 
So in some Nordic huh. country, I know, right? In some Nordic countries like Finland, people will melt tin uh, horseshoes or or small tin items and then pour the resulting liquid into cold water. And you watch it swirl and create a new solid form, you know, because the, the water cools the metal and it takes on its shape. Exactly. And then the shape that it makes is said to predict what kind of year you'll have. And I'm just so curious about that being a visual arts kind of gal. I was like, this could this one could be really cool and fun. Dan, tell me, what is a New Year's tradition that, that you always tend to do? It's do you have one? Funny that you asked. You surprised me with this question. And it's one that has changed for me over time. Yeah. I used to really like to spend New Year's alone. Mm-hmm. I used to like to take it as a, a moment of contemplation. Sure. And I'm revealing my natural introvert tendencies <laughs> here. Um, and it's one of those things that's changed for me as I met Pooja and got married. And I find myself spending more and more time really um, looking forward to celebrating those close relationships, spending that time with people I love. Oh, very nice. Very nice. And what about yourself? Two things that, that we've always done. My family growing up, we did a big bonfire with a lot of people. And my mom loved the tradition of writing a wish for the year and, and then burning it, letting it kind of go out into the universe. And I've always loved that. And if we don't have a bonfire present, um, much like my cousin, I like those moments of solitude. And for me, in Vermont, when things are snowy and quiet and peaceful and beautiful, I always try to find one moment on New Year's where I kind of escape outside on my own for a bit. And I kind of welcome the new year in and I let go of any past hurts or anything from the year before and that I take that for myself and that's my own little tradition. As different as we are in some ways, <laughs> we, we are, are very so similar. similar in others. That's almost exactly what I was thinking <laughs> the about. Same and thing. you've also reminded me though that your parents' New Year's party is legendary. Used and to be. It's not anymore. That bonfire that used to happen out back was something I, I looked forward to often as a, sometimes on my route home from Burlington to totally, the totally. town of Duxbury. Anyway, we digress. <laughs> We hope that you'll take a look at some of these wonderful traditions and please share with us some of your own. We would love to hear after New Year's. How did you ring in 2017? What are you looking forward to? Um, I think my swearing is down a little bit from from last year. Dan's nodding in agreement. I have some very colorful, new, fun phrases that you all have given me. Um, But we want to hear how do you choose to, to welcome in the new year and move on from the year before? And however you choose to celebrate your New Year's, we hope that you have an absolutely smashing night filled of all the magic and joy that the transition of one year to another brings. Indeed. Being agreeable, saying and doing things in a pleasant way. That's easy enough, and it does make a difference all day long. Well, another tradition that we know and love is the tradition of ending this show with an etiquette salute. Yes. And <laughs> this week's salute comes from Amy, who's learned a lesson about how to receive. Hi, Lizzie and Dan. I want to give a warm etiquette salute to my friend Ashley and her husband, Daniel. Recently, I received a text from my friend saying she was ill and her children were as well and she was struggling to take care of them while she recovered. I rushed over with some broth and some tea, asked her to go rest, and took care of the kids while she did so. I chatted with her husband and made him some tea as well, and when she was rested, I took my leave. My salute rests on this. When I offered my help, it was graciously received, and when I left, I was simply thanked. Society has left us with this idea that we must fight every effort people make on our behalf, and I've gotten a lot of, 
why did you do that? I'm not worth it. Or you shouldn't have. It was refreshing for my help to just be received without any drama or guilt heaped on either side. I felt like I received more than I gave in this situation. I received a lesson in letting go and letting others help me when it's needed. I hope I'm able to do the same when I'm in that situation. So thank you, Ashley, and your family for letting me lend a hand. And thank you so much, Amy, for reminding us how good it feels to do things for other people. And it, it really is a an inverted salute, but I think it's such an appropriate one that here you are, some people would see as the helper, and you're thanking the other people for receiving that help. And you're reminding all of us how good it feels to do things for other people. And I couldn't think of any better message to leave this show with at the end of 2016. And that's our show for today. Thank you for listening. And thank you to everyone who sent us something. You can send your next question, comment, salute, or feedback to awesomeetiquette at emilypost.com. You can reach us by phone at 802-866-0860. On Twitter, I'm at Daniel underscore Post. And I'm at Lizzie A. Post. That's Lizzie with an I-E. On Facebook, we're Awesome Etiquette and the Emily Post Institute. You can help us out. If you love the show, please subscribe on iTunes and leave us a review. Our theme music was composed and performed by Bob Wagner, and our show is produced by Chris Roberts. 